good is Australia? This fucking language. Let there be a thousand blossoms bloom as far as I'm concerned. But I ain't spending any time on it. Don't stop wearing the Speedos. You're listening to Decode, the Batuta Advocates podcast series for those Australians who have tuned out or never tuned in to the dark arts of politics. It's called being, you wouldn't believe it, a goddamn bloody adult. Hello and welcome back to Decode's News from the Trough, the fortnightly, sometimes monthly, sometimes fortnightly, sometimes three-weekly, tri-weekly, tri-weekly podcast show where we wrap up what's been happening in the world of politics, mostly in the federal sense. We jump into the trough down there in Canberra and all of the stuff that comes from that. Sometimes we do dip into other stuff, but generally... It is all the goings-on of the trough that is Canberra and the politicians who dip their snouts into it. My name is Wernal Hussey. I'm very excited to be joined once again by Ms. Les Burley, a fighting Hello. fit Les Burley Hello. after oh. quite a large weekend. How are you, Les? Yeah. I've got a whole vat of hydrolyte next to me for this recording, as you can see, because yep. I have been on the ground in Sydney for... Mardi Gras and World Pride, just to follow the politics, yep. all tax deductible, you know. Yeah, gotcha. I mean, a lot of hydrolytes there, not expecting clear urine for probably three or four days at the earliest. I know it always does funny things to mine. We've got Dior Dave as well. He's fighting fit too. Everyone's I'm f- fighting fit. I'm feeling good. It's nice not to be the most hungover person in the room for once, so I'm enjoying the middle ground I've got here. Yeah, good Fair on you, treat. Dave. Um, now there is, there's a little bit to talk about this week, not so much in terms of like scandals or controversies, but just, just a bit of policy stuff, a bit of, um, topical policy stuff, which does or doesn't affect people's lives. There is a bit of a segment down on what happened in, uh, Mardi Gras where you were, Les, over the weekend with Albanese and Lydia Thorpe and so on, police presence, all that sort of stuff. But we're also going to talk about superannuation and the uh, new climate change laws and how they're going to come into effect and what they're actually going to achieve. So it's good. I'm looking forward to that. But we're going to start off as we like to do, as we normally do with a clangor or a banger. It's one that I saw from Scott Morrison's interview with the Daily Telegraph, nearly getting close to 12 months since he lost the top job as Prime Minister of Australia. He sat down with the telly and spoke to them about how basically he's not in the fetal position if anyone was asking, I'm not sure anyone particularly was, but he's moved to assure everybody that he's not in the fetal position and he is moving along okay. He's moved on with his life. He's been watching a lot of TV shows apparently and this was the quote that I really liked out of that article. He said, I just finished watching Hunters on Prime, which is a drama about Nazi hunters with Al Pacino. I really enjoyed it. I haven't sent the link to Josh Frydenberg yet, but it'd be right, right up his alley. <laughs> really, really good stuff from Scott Morrison. Been watching a lot of TV by the sounds of it. Yeah, haven't we all once we, you know, get fired from that big job, take yeah. a bit of time off, bit of a sabbatical when oh, we're yeah. not in the fetal position, what else would we be doing? We've all had a breakup binge, that's for sure. Most of mine haven't lasted a year, but, you know, he's he's doing his best by the sounds of it. Yeah, I wonder how much him and Josh actually speak post-election, given Josh isn't in politics anymore, but I love that that was the thing that popped into his mind that... 
hey, i am got to message my Jewish colleague about the TV show mm. I watched about uh, hunting Nazis because just, he'd just love it, wouldn't he? I wonder if Josh sent a message back saying, that's really cool. Have you seen Inglorious Bastards? <laughs> they're just trading back and forth. I wonder if their text message chain is just a one-sided chain with Scott Morrison just going, what you up to? You want to catch up? Are you around today? Yeah. Can we see each other? And Josh just hasn't written back for months and months and months. He's taking his time off. Anyway, uh, clanger or banger? What do you guys reckon? I reckon absolute clanger. Because <laughs> my, ser- my serotonin levels dropped when I read this story. So <laughs> yeah, it's a clanger fair. for me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I'm just happy. He's just put his feet up. He's relaxing, sitting on the back bench, watching a bit of TV shows. Mm. And, you know, he just wants to share around share around the love. So yeah. a bit of humour there from Scott. He's thinking about his other unemployed friends and being like, oh, maybe they're <laughs> struggling to find something to watch. I'll help them out. <laughs> right up his alley. It makes you wonder, he's taking this is he taking it this easy after losing the prime ministership? It didn't seem like he was doing that much during the prime ministership, but anyway. No, he hasn't done a Kevin and you know <laughs> really flipped his lid um at all. He's just kind of stayed back and yeah, probably increased his subscription um mm. budget for the last 12 months, so. Mm. I can't wait for to him. see what he goes on to next once he finishes Hunters. Yeah, maybe Inglorious Bastards. You said that could be the play for him. But mm. um, yeah, a bit of TV for Scotty. Now, superannuation in the news. A little bit uh, before we stepped into the booth here, it was revealed that the Treasurer Jim Chalmers is going to change superannuation laws. He's going to double tax rates paid by Australians with superannuation account balances worth more than $3 million. Worth noting that for this change the people that it affects, the average balance for people with over $3 million in their superannuation is $6 million. Chalmers says this is all about basically balancing up the budget and making sure it's more equitable. There's a statement from him on this. He reckons it's going to save the government about $2 billion a year, which I think we can agree is a fair bit of coin, but I'll read the statement he said on it. He said, currently earnings from superannuation in the accumulation phase are taxed at a concessional rate of up to 15%. This will continue for all superannuation accounts with balances below $3 million. But from 2025-26, the concessional tax rate applied to future earnings for balances above $3 million will be 30%. That's expected to apply to about 80,000 people and they will continue to benefit from more generous tax breaks on earnings from the $3 million below the threshold. Caused a little bit of a stir, this one. As you can imagine, you guys got super over... $3 million? Uh, not over three. Be getting closer or? In in a way. Yeah. It could be, could be approaching, but yep. it's not going to affect me anytime soon, let's just say. Yeah, maybe like $2,900,080. Yeah. Mm. I'm more of a negative gearing gal myself. Ah, uh, yeah, gotcha. Good. Well, that's fair. I'm a franking credits guy. Yeah, I'm just kind of playing the game so that I keep it hovering around about 2.9 so I never have to pay that tax. And yeah, yeah, fair. You yeah. had, you've had a bit of a career in hospitality before moving into the world of journalism, Dave. So, you, I mean, you probably have $15, $20 worth of superannuation oh, from yeah. your time in hospital. I know. If I had, if I retired now, I think I would have enough money to feed myself for the rest of my life. Yeah, very exciting. So... 
that's the angle that's been offered up by the likes of Sky News and the Daily Telegraph, that these changes to superannuation are going to affect all of us and going to basically be a tax on superannuation for the average Australian. However, Chalmers has come out and he said that it's only going to affect less than 1% of people, 80,000 there, and most of them have well over $3 million as well. It's not like they're right on the threshold, which is, I think we can all agree, $3 million is quite a bit of money to be in your superannuation. The Liberals are saying that the government also lied about it, which I think is is pretty rich because w- what they're saying is that the Labor government, the Labor Party, sorry, didn't go to the election with a pitch on changing superannuation. They said they weren't going to change superannuation and now that they've been voted in, they've moved to change the superannuation, which is what they said they weren't going to do before the election, which I think for me is a little bit of a curious one in the sense that it wasn't really a massive topic. Like superannuation changes weren't really talked about leading into the election. So it wasn't like, okay, this is a major issue. You have to draw your line in the sand. Where are you standing on this? It was kind of something that was maybe floated about. They would have had some one-off quote here. It wasn't a massive, massive thing. And then 12 months into a new government, they're bringing about this change, which is, you know, we're nearly up to a year. It's been a significant amount of time. I also think, isn't that what governments do? Like this isn't a piece of legislation which affects every single Australian. As we said, it affects less than 1% of Australians. It's going to put $2 billion back into the budget and it only affects people uh, with over $3 million in their superannuation account. Surely you're not voting for the Labor Party and then getting angry at them for taking money away from guys and girls who have more than $3 million in their superannuation account. Surely that's a logical step and a logical thing that you can understand that a Labor Party would do something like that as a party that prides itself on cutting down on tax cuts like that. I think that's a curious one to say, like they didn't take a pitch on this to the election because I don't know. I I don't know. I find it weird as well. Oh, look, yeah, yeah, I I just think, I think think it's safe to assume that uh, the 80,000 not 800,000, mm. but 80,000 people who this will be affecting did not vote for the Labor Party. So I think we can probably <laughs> assume that they have had no promises broken and yeah, that's, it's, it's not even one, it's not even less than 1%. It's like 0. 0.0 something. That's a great, that's population. a great call. There's maybe a couple so, of teal voters in there. But be. yeah, genuinely there might be a couple of tealies in there. So it's going to be interesting to see what those... Uh, representatives say about this, especially yeah. if Labor tries to spin this as more money towards things like sustainability and environment and the things that, you know, the Teal people have been pushing for as well. Yeah. John Howard, the best Prime Minister we've ever had, according to... My parents. According, yeah, according to a lot of people. A lot of people say he's the best Prime Minister we ever had. He's the guy who took away our guns. But he has come out and he said it's an attack on middle Australians, which I think, again, kind of confusing. It only affects 1% of people. So it's interesting to say that 1% is middle Australia. But I guess that's a narrative that he's running with. But I think what you're forgetting here is that maybe a lot of middle Australians, while they don't have over $3 million in super, they vote for the Liberal Party because one day they might. Yes. Mm. Yep. And you really need to look out for yourself because while you might not be in the upper class or that wealthy at the moment, you can always get there. That's mm. what the lucky country is all about. That is the Australian dream. It's a very good point, Dave. One day you too could have $3 million in your superannuation. And if you do, the Labor Party will be taking it away from you. Yep. So it's an interesting one. Well, one day you could even be the one person who, according to ATO stats, has more than $544 million in super. Just yeah. one. 
Yeah, one person. So that's that one singular. person, John Howard. <laughs> <laughs> that's why he sees people with over three million dollars as, as middle, middle Australians. Yeah, right. that makes sense. <laughs> a couple of his party members are potentially going to break ranks on this, which is interesting. The Victorian Liberal MP Russell Broadbent and Bridget Archer have said that they don't mind about the government's change of heart on this in regards to bringing in superannuation changes and they're open to, yeah, crossing the floor on it and supporting the government, which is an interesting one. I actually don't think they need the support of those guys, those guys, but it's kind of leaning more into that new type of kind of political move that we're seeing from people who are going, we're going to vote on this issue and think about this issue uh, rather than just follow typical party lines. Yes. Um, we're part of the other Liberal Party who would like to stay in next election. Mm. So. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think I just wanted to say at the end as well, like the Labor Party is getting hammered from the coalition in regards to taxing middle Australians and all of that sort of stuff. It's not like... We're trying to go into bat here for the Labor Party. I'm not trying to be a fanboy of the Labor Party in regards to this. I just think it's a policy that affects 1% of Australians who have over $3 million in their superannuation account and not really going to be affected by this change, which is going to bring $2 billion back into the government. And, you know, it's not exactly like the Labor Party are coming and taking people's homes. They've still got the stage three tax cuts, which are coming in within the next couple of years, which essentially give people on over 200K a year huge, huge tax breaks and is essentially going to cost the budget $250 billion over 10 years. So it's it's not exactly like this is a super radical proposal here from the Labor government. So um, I guess we'll keep an eye and see whether they cop much flack from it or whether everyone just goes, hmm, this affects 1% of people, let's move on. Mm, will John Howard be coming out and championing the Labor Party for looking out for the middle Australians who own over 200000 a year? Hi, sir. I reckon, yeah, he hasn't so far, um, but I reckon maybe if they wind it back, I reckon little Johnny, little Johnny will be out there fighting for those middle Australians. Now, we should move on to where you were this weekend, Leslie. Mm-hmm. Take it away. So I was indeed in Sydney for Mardi Gras and World Pride. It is the 45th Mardi Gras. It was the biggest Mardi Gras ever because it was part of World Pride. And it's also back on Oxford Street for the first time since COVID. So lots of people were very, very excited, including the Labor Party and Anthony Albanese. So like I said, I went to the event purely for reporting purposes so we could be really Mm -hmm. thorough in our coverage and still finding glitter in places that I can't mention on radio. But we all know Prime Minister Anthony Albanese marched in the parade with his partner Jody, as well as the member for Sydney, Tanya Plibersek, and New South Wales Labor leader Chris Minns, who is about to face the election of his life in less than a month, so quite a strategic showing from him. And they were followed by key members of Rainbow Labor, or as I like to call them, the queer faction <laughs> of Labor. So Albanese, yes, <laughs> Albanese has been marching in Mardi Gras for 35 years before it was very cool, even before homosexuality mm. was legal in Tasmania. So it is one of those instances where, you know, he's rocked up and he's done it many, many times, but he is the first sitting prime minister to march at the event. Mm. On the ground, it really felt like the crowd was super enthusiastic, as was he, shaking hands, taking photos, COVID is dead, germs don't exist. And he was interviewed by Jeremy from the ABC and said, 
this. It's unfortunate that I am the first, but this is a celebration of modern Australia. We're a diverse, inclusive Australia, and that's a good thing. People, people want to see that their government is inclusive and represents everyone, no matter who they love, no matter what their identity, no matter where they live. We need to be a country that respects everyone for who they are. Yeah, I liked how he kept it um, kept it pretty low key and seemed to just make a point that this should be normal and this should just be the way it is. Um, that obviously is a massive deal and it is history making, but he kind of seemed to hint that yes, it is a big deal and it's history making, but it shouldn't be that way and this should just be a normal thing to move forward with. Um, yeah, it really yeah. felt like it wasn't about him in that moment. He just went, "This is the right thing to do." This is what Australia is. We're supporting the community. We have international visitors. We're supporting them. Been doing it for a long time. Here we are again. Yeah, been doing but- it for a long, long time before it's cool. I think the other thing about it is, like, there was obviously some commentary online about what's he doing and why is he turning up. But, like, if you purely take politics out of it, it's a fucking fun event on a Saturday night in the city yeah. he lives in. Yeah. Why wouldn't you get around it? You get he around, is a local. yeah. You get around <laughs> the Australian Open. You get around the cricket, the footy, all that sort of stuff. This is just a fucking fun thing on a Saturday night to get around. If you take yeah. everything else out of it, and people might also forget that it's actually correct me if I'm wrong, but I do believe it's the largest tourism event in Sydney since COVID. Yeah, right. So when you half a million the... people, I think they were saying yeah. were getting to Sydney for it. It definitely yeah. felt like that being there. You kind of walked around and thought, Jesus, I cannot remember the last time I saw this many people in one place. Mm. Yeah. But it was awesome. And if we're talking nationally, you know, the AO and Mardi Gras are the biggest national um, events that have happened since COVID. So as far as injection of money, yeah. tourism... The world is really looking at Sydney and at Australia when we host this event. And so there is an element of, you know, diplomacy that occurs when we host big events like this. Mm. Was everybody in bed by 10 p.m.? Uh, Absolutely not. (laughs) Well, that's good because that tends to be how things operate down in Sydney. Um, (laughs) Yeah, the lockout laws were not in play for that weekend, that's for sure. I think Albanese didn't even march until about 10 p.m. because the parade was really, really long. There was over 200 floats, so it was was a long time. Mm. I was a little disappointed that uh, our PM Albo didn't really rise to the occasion with his outfit. He was kind of just donning the traditional politician's look of business shirt and pants. He didn't really break out any special mm. rainbow budgie yeah. smugglers or anything like that. He at least that. had a crop top moment. Exactly. A Some bit of mesh. Fishnets. The mesh would have been nice. Yeah, moment. a bit of leather maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Something. We'll, we'll let him know. Mm. We'll let him know. I'll, I'll get year. my contacts. Next year, surely. That's it. He doesn't need yeah. to keep it as low key. When he's a bit more safe, when he's when he's in his second year in, he yeah. can kind of pimp things up a little bit. Branch out a little bit. There was someone who branched out a little bit and yes. um, caused a bit of a scene. Lydia Thorpe. You saw that one, Liz. What did you make yeah, of it? Yeah, so I was actually around for that. wasn't right there, but I was nearby. And so former Greens Senator Lydia Thorpe, who's recently stepped away from the Greens, actually somewhat staged her own protest at the event, stopping the parade by lying down on the road in front of one of the truck floats. Now, several news outlets incorrectly reported that she lied down in front of the Australian Federal Police 
float, which she didn't. It was actually the 2010 float, which is an organisation that provides counselling and housing support to queer youth. But her intention was to protest cops at Pride Mm. and she marched with the No Cops at Pride group and she actually later tweeted, black and brown trans women started the first Pride at March as a protest against police violence. Today we still face violence from police proud to have joined the pride and protest float in sydney to say no pride in genocide no pride in prisons and no cops in pride so when it happened it was quite confusing because there was this large gap in the parade where things weren't happening and i was we were watching the abc broadcast and they also were unsure of what was going on and they kind of had to awkwardly fill time and everyone was like oh what's going on and then it came to light what had happened and within the chaos she kind of got a bit of mixed response um, from the crowd but also after the event she got mixed responses some were arguing that it wasn't the time or place to do something Mm. like this some argued that her actions were confusing at the time that it happened just because they didn't know who she was and what was going on um, in the moment because there's thousands and thousands of people lots of noise it's hard to tell what's going on And others have been really supportive and saying that cops shouldn't be at Mardi Gras and her actions are an extension of the original protest that started this event 45 years Mm. ago. So she wasn't arrested or charged, but she was asked to leave by the police. And I think she was potentially asked to leave by event organisers as well, but we are still trying to confirm that detail. Yeah, look, I must admit, seeing the footage, I, I did I did find it a little interesting that someone who was basically protesting against the police and police presence was being booed at Mardi Gras. But as you said, there's just so, so much going on and so much confusion. And not yeah. everybody is going to know who Lydia Thorpe is as well. Well, they didn't. And she had a big hat on, to be fair. <laughs> so <laughs> just, just to describe kind of what it looked like there, the... No Cops at Pride float actually did get a lot of support and people were cheering and cheering them on and they tend to do get a fair bit of support, um, especially in recent years, you know, surrounding our ideas around these things. Mm. But she had broken away from that group and lied down in front of a youth organisation. So I think there was a lot of confusion in the moment. In saying that, though, there are people online who have doubled down and absolutely attacked her for this, even now knowing what the sentiment was. Yeah. And so it's it's been a really mixed response. And not just within the people at Mardi Gras, like other politicians and other people have commented on it as mm. well. I do think that, you know, people who are criticising police at Mardi Gras need to take into the fact that it was in Sydney and Sydney is very proud of its classification as a nanny state and loves to have police <laughs> officers everywhere. So... I mean, obviously, at Mardi Gras, the LGBTQIA community doesn't have a great relationship with police, and that's, Mm -hmm. you know, if you look at what's happened through the Mm -hmm. years, you wouldn't blame them. But down in Sydney, they just love their police, and they can't get enough of them. Mm. Yeah, and we won't get into this too much because it is a bit more of a state issue, not a federal issue, which is what we normally talk about on this pod. But there have been a few reports coming out as well that there was a really intense police presence this year there were lots of sniffer dogs there was strip searching there were tent searches rather than things like pill testing and new south wales greens mp kate fairman as well as sydney criminal lawyers as an organization have come out and started to report on 
this and on the ground that was super evident as well there were lots of cops around so it will be interesting to see what the ongoing conversation around this is and if more mps get involved Mm. i don't know if they will touch it or not but certainly you know lydia thorpe is in the news a lot at the moment and i think some of the news junkets are definitely going to keep tracking her journey over the next few months. There's one thing New South Wales cops love doing. It is strip searching people. So hardly surprising they were at it again on the weekend. Mm-hmm. Bit of climate change news. Yeah, just a little bit. Despite the Mardi Gras, despite superannuation, that thing known as climate change is still going on. Mm. Can you believe it? It's still happening. I thought we fixed it, but... Still in the news. Still in the news. We voted in a new still government and it's not fixed yet. Would you believe But the new government, the Labor Party, is in negotiations to pass legislation needed for the Safeguard Mechanism Plan. Now, the Safeguard Mechanism Plan was actually introduced by the coalition under Tony Abbott, but never really enforced. So since they've been elected and as one of their election promises, Labor have promised to revamp the Safeguard Mechanism Plan. But they will still need to pass legislation with either the support of the coalition or the Greens and two crossbenchers but they are stuck in the middle. So, And not heaps has been said about this, really. Like, and I guess maybe it's because it's a bit of a complicated thing, the safeguard mechanism. I feel like I haven't seen a lot written about it and not a lot of people are talking about it. What actually is it? Yeah, so it's not the most exciting and adventurous policy, but what it aims to do is put a limit on the emissions from Australia's largest industrial sites. There's just over 200 of them, I think, that are listed, and mm. around half of those are fossil fuel operations. And the way they'll limit the emissions is by forcing companies to either reduce their emissions that they put out or buy carbon credits, which are also known as offsets. So this essentially means that companies can, in a way, keep polluting as much as they want as long as they keep buying these credits, which are sold by other companies who have made extra cuts to their emissions output. Are they a little bit like a hydrolite after a a big weekend? You're buying that as an offset and it's arguably not doing too much to fix anything, but it feels and sounds like it is. It's kind of like if I was to go down to the Tudor Dam. Yep. Chuck a big thing of toxic waste in there. Yep. But I've planted 2,000 trees. Yeah, okay. Mm. Or someone else planted 2,000 trees, but I paid them to do it. Yeah, nice. Yeah, it's the pay. That's the big thing, isn't it? It's the paying somebody else to uh, offset your negative actions. I get you. Yeah, that's right. So a lot of experts have criticised this legislation as being just performative for essentially trying to reduce emissions while opening new polluting projects. The whole idea of offsetting doesn't really sit too well with climatologists who are demanding an actual reductions in emissions from polluters rather than a symbolic policy that just allows companies to pretty much cop out of genuinely reducing their targets. The plan has been labelled as a giant greenwash, which will allow emissions to increase and new fossil fuel projects to open while still asking existing polluters to just pretty please try and reduce your emissions if that's not too hard, if you've got time, but mm. orgy if not, kind of like some of the texts I've sent mm. in my life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you can open up like a, a new gas project or a new coal mine, but as long as you pay and buy some offsets, you're all good. Exactly. That's it. Now, it's interesting to note, while Labor do need support from other parties to pass this, Even though the framework was created by the coalition under Abbott and then developed a bit more under Morrison, 
Peter Dutton has now decided that he doesn't like it and his party won't be supporting the legislation. Meanwhile, the Greens have said that they will back the safeguard mechanism if Labor promises to ban any new coal and gas projects, which seems quite unlikely considering Labor promised that they wouldn't do that in the lead up to an election. But the Greens have said that it's more of an offer than an ultimatum. So negotiations are still in process there, but there's still a bit of nastiness going on between them. Labor keep running with their tried and tested line that the Greens are making the perfect the enemy of the good. Mm. But Mm. Greens leader Adam Bant has come out and said, all we're asking for is the bare minimum. We're not asking for perfect. Yeah, I saw Chris Bowen was trotting that out. He had a nice soundbite about um, practical, not perfect. Uh, something along those lines. But yeah, as Bant was saying, he was saying this this isn't actually, we're not asking for perfect. We're asking you to actually limit emissions a little bit more rather than um, just offsetting them with a bit of cash. Yeah, and Plibersek announced, well, she signed off. I, I don't think she announced it. I think it was <laughs> leaked to the media that she signed off on um, gas projects literally in the last week. So That's right. They just keep pouring in. Unless they're going to backtrack on that decision. I don't see that happening anytime soon. Yeah. This whole policy just kind of seems like you've been given an old beat up car that doesn't really run. So you try to stick a new engine and some flash wheels on it. But at the end of the day, it's still a shitty old car that won't do a proper job and it's probably going to break down. But while you're fixing it, you're also still driving it around and maybe dinging <laughs> it on some shopping trolleys in the car park. It just kind of makes me think, should Labor have just taken the dive and bought an entirely new car instead of trying to pinch the pennies and, you know. Mate, I don't know why you had to bring up my car like that. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, look, a new car would be ideal in this situation. And it's also, I think, important to note, Dave, that this policy doesn't exist in a lot of other countries either. It's not like something that's happening all around the world. It's something that is uniquely Australian, as well as a couple other countries that have this kind of scheme. That's right. Uh, I think one of the countries I saw mentioned that also partakes in the carbon offset and credit scheme was Kazakhstan. So, Mm. yeah, we're in good company there. We've always been closely aligned, you know, our greatest allies. Mm. Yeah, we very similar on internet levels a few years ago. Not anymore, but I remember we were at a similar point in time, um, very similar on our internet levels and internet speeds specifically. Yeah, well, they're now faster. Climate change speeds as well. Mm. Um, now notorious leaders uh, on the climate change front. So, I mean... Good um, good country to be in bed with, I think. I think so. Maybe that's where Labor have been getting all their best ideas from. But it will be interesting to see what comes of this because Labor did ride into power on the back of promising better climate policy, which I guess you could say they do have a better policy than the coalition mm. did while they were in government. But if they can't pass it, which it's not looking likely at the moment unless they tweak a few things, then... It'll be interesting to see. But then I don't know how their voters will feel about it if they can't deliver on one of their election promises. They don't seem to be interested in negotiating with the Greens on it at all, hey? No, I think we might be seeing a bit of a repeat of what we saw, what, almost 15 years ago now under Kevin Rudd and Julia Gillard in that infamous era. The old carbon tax era. God, please no. I don't want to I really, I'm getting hot. I'm sweating thinking about it. (laughs) Guys, we can't go back to that. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed we don't. But I think that's pretty much it from me. Anything else from you guys? No, I need to go have a lie down Mm. and probably another hydrolyte, maybe even a little ice block. What flavour hydrolyte you got? 
I like the purple. Yeah, one. so good. Hey, yeah. is that black blackberry? Black currant, black currant. Yeah, black yeah. Mm-hmm. they're really, really good. The purple not the ones. orange. The orange. That's no. if you want orange, just go Barocca. I think. Yeah, yeah, and the orange tastes a little bit too close to like watered down fruit cup that you'd get at the old Batuta United mm. Church on a Sunday school <laughs> back in the day. So yeah, you no, just want you. you want full strength fruit cup. Thanks very much, everybody. Always good to talk. Look forward to doing it again in a fortnight. Uh, next week, we've got Bridget Archer, I believe, Dave. She'll be talking to us about all sorts of things too. Looking forward to that. Yeah, so we'll speak to you then. But um, until next time, have a good one.